I think what what you learn from curling and hockey, hockey, hockey people are a different breed of people. They uh, form like a pocket, and once you get to know these people, they stick together. You're backed by everybody that belongs to that group. I think the curling people are the same way. You know, you get to know these people and you draw into them. That's their life. It's curling. I mean, that's a lot of them. That's all they do is eat and sleep. And I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, I, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in the darkness, there's a man they call the skipper, fast asleep. Dreaming of gold Weeks before the sun does Even though he'd rather stay in bed Curses the cold in Minnesota Why's it always so damn cold? He's got a job to do Does it for me You're listening to Stonecast, Curling in the Twin Cities with Jordan Wickland and Christopher Lisney. We're here with John Bauer, board member of Fogarty Arena, in the boardroom of the arena. It's fantastic. Great facility. Thank you. All right. So before uh, we get into the actual interview, Jordan and I are going to go over some uh, new mailbag activities since the last time we talked. It's the mailbag. All right. We did, we did an, an anonymous uh, emailer, which I like. You know, I like a little chuff. I like a little grit, John. Strike me as a man who maybe likes the same, but it means you're, you're somewhere when people are complaining. That's the goal. So we got an email titled Chris Runs. Good afternoon. Great pod with Scott Clausen. Avid listener here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, by the way. Yes. Avid listener. It seems once one steps away. Oh, Chris, you didn't write up the entire email. I can't read it. Oh, did it go off the edge? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Anyway, I I got the gist of it here. Uh, We we have someone who has apparently uh, listened to the pods more than once and has noticed that Chris uh, not only challenges, but maybe invites certain feats of strength that involve running with both Klassen boys. Speak. Do you know the Clausen boys? Uh, I've met them both. I'm not not rubbing. Yeah, they're scoundrels. You're not you're not missing much. Uh, speaking to Brad, there was a challenge for uh, Brad to stop Chris from tackling Jordan in the uh, St. Paul parking lot. Yeah, and that night he was drinking. Uh, he was drinking heavily, and I was like, I know I could just run circles around you. And and he had an Achilles injury. Was he in a boot at that point yet? Or no, not? it wasn't. He was going into a weekend of curling, but he, yeah. And he was like, oh, I'd tackle you. He'd, I'd just smash you against the wall there. Well, anyway, there was a challenge for Brad to stop Chris from tackling Jordan. And Chris felt he could best Brad in that feat of strength. Then, speaking to Brad's older brother, Scott, not a few weeks ago, Chris revealed he was challenged to run through the safety glass of the St. Paul Curling Club. And Chris thought he could do it. And yeah. it was only the uh, common sense and... Uh, 
you know, minimizing bloodshed that stopped Chris from doing that. And so our, our emailer writes, all I'm saying is that sooner or later, these stone cast hosts are going to have to put up or shut up. <laughs> that's pretty, anyway, that's pretty uh, salty. That is salty, but we want, we'd like to encourage that court of, that sort of talk. And I'm a big guy, so you know I'm I'm ready for anything. Well, you know that safety glass. They they said that they one of the reasons they put it in there was the the old glass. Someone could run into it, it break, and it would spread glass all over the ice and hurt people down below. And they said this stuff is like guaranteed not to break. And I'm like, well, how do you know? I mean, guarantee. Like, has anybody tested it? So we got a little uh, uh, Twitter action since the last time. So. As someone might remember or might not remember, during the St. Paul cash spiel, we did some broadcasting of the games, and we had this little bit where Heath McCormick came over and signed a can of beer for one of our listeners, and in exchange, we signed a cribbage board. And so Heath, at the beginning of November, sent us a picture via Twitter of his first game. So we're pretty excited about that, and his team won the the Coors Light cash spiel in Duluth last week. Oh, congratulations, Team McCormick. Pretty cool. And I heard there was a rumor that that Sinclair's team wanted to challenge McCormick's team for a head-on-head, uh, for put all the pool money together, and whoever wins. But uh, McCormick kind of didn't want to do it. He wimped out a little bit. I thought you were going to say that the, the Sinclair rink challenged the Stonecast curling squad to a showdown, to which we would... Except a poetry slam and a poetry slam. We're <laughs> yeah. looking at you, Jamie. Jamie, do you know Jamie Sinclair, John? You familiar? Yeah, I do. Yeah, she, uh, she volunteered to read some poetry. She said it's how her team calms down at the cash spiel. And we said poetry. That's weird. But, you know, we were ready to oblige. So Alex Carlson did some, too. That's true. That was a fine oh. mailbag flip. Thanks. Yeah, that was exciting. Yeah. Was it? Wow. What was the most exciting part of that mailbag for you? The cribbage board. Mm. <laughs> really was. I, I might have a cribbage player. So, Mr. McCormick, I'll play a cribbage any day. Ooh. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. What kind of what kind of stakes? We're low stakes. Uh, we usually pay for like a penny a point. Do you think it's important to play for money? Not really. It's, uh, it's the pride of winning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who you beat. Stonecast is supported by our friends at the Once Upon a Crime Mystery Bookstore, 604 West 26th Street in Minneapolis. Not only do they have a fantastic collection of mysteries, thrillers, and crime novels, they host some of the best author events in the area. Check them out on the web at www.onceuponacrimebooks.com. That's www.onceuponacrimebooks.com. So, John, the reason that we had you on was because I've been on a quest in this podcast to be invited into the weight room of the Blaine Curling Facility, Fogarty Arena, the U.S. Curling Facility. And I came up here and I was stalking and I saw your name was on the sign. And I was like, I got to get to talk to that guy. And you gave us a tour and we were allowed in the room and it looked fantastic. All sorts of new equipment. Mm Mm-hmm. There's that fresh oily smell. I know I love that air. smell. You didn't even you didn't even lift a weight. No, but I took a picture of you lifting a weight, and That's I was exhausted. damned right. <laughs> I had a finger up there trying to hold. What was that? A eighty pounder? One hundred and fifty at least. Oh wow! It looked like a thirty to me. I know. It it was bigger than thirty. The real reason is is that when we were interviewing John Benton, 
um, over the summer, he had mentioned that he thought that you were one of the key individuals to bringing curling to this facility. Okay. Seems like that's a pretty, uh, pretty cool thing, and we should talk to you about it. Oh, well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate the invite uh, by both of you guys to uh, ask me on your uh, podcast. So, sure. I want to start out by I was born and raised up in Hibbing, Minnesota, a hockey mecca and, and curling mecca mm-hmm. part of town. That's the only thing to do up there in the wintertime is either you go watch a hockey game or you go to the curling rink. Ice fishing. Uh, if you like to ice fish, I don't have that touch for uh, the feel of a, a minnow biting on my minnow, so I'm not a good fisherman. So, Anyway, back to uh, the facility here at Blaine. Back in 1975-1976, Blaine Spring Lake Park Athletic Association, which was a parks department, Blaine and Spring Lake Park, run by the parks department of Blaine Spring Lake Park, and all the association, baseball, hockey, uh, football, everything was run through that. And at the time, a bunch of guys from Blaine and a couple from Spring Lake Park got together, and we decided that we wanted to split because there wasn't an, uh, enough involvement. Most of our ice time, like I said, was outdoor ice. We formed traveling teams. Our first, I think the first year that we got in, we had one squirt team, uh, two peewee teams, and two bantam teams. Well, we didn't have any indoor ice, so we were begging and borrowing from Cook Arena, University of Minnesota, getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, driving down there for an hour practice. Uh, Victory Memorial over in North Minneapolis, uh, Columbia Ice Arena. And about 1979, a bunch of us guys got together. We were tired of flooding outdoor rinks, maintaining them. And about that time, Anoka County came up and they gave the city of Anoka a $200,000 grant to build an ice sheet in Anoka at the high school. So we kind of jumped on the bandwagon and decided that, uh, hey, if they can give it to Anoka, they can give it to Blaine. So from there, we started different fundraisers through 80, 81. And we had smelt fries. We'd go up... uh, Smelt up in Duluth. Or you know, you can get smelt fries at the Red Stag Supper Club, northeast Minneapolis, right next to my office. Oh, yeah. Yeah, north of where I work. It was about uh, half a dozen of us guys. We went up there uh, one Friday night, and we brought back like a 35-gallon garbage can full of, of smelt. And what we did is we took them smelt, and we built a, a stand here at uh, Aquator Park across the street from here. And we built this uh, wood stand, and we did a schmelt fry on the 4th of July. Hmm. We used up almost every schmelt we had that 4th of July day. I don't and know if I could we, eat fish well, on a hot 4th of July fun. day. What are you talking about? What do you do when you catch a walleye? I don't, I don't go to a public park in, in 90 degrees and humid and put it on a smelt fryer and eat it. A little Coleman stove, that's all they were. Okay. So this arena was built on smelt. Pretty much, pretty much a lot of it. And built with beer cans, but we'll get to that story later. We'll get to that story later. Finally, uh, we got permission from the city on a Thursday night after countless uh, board board meetings, park board meetings, uh, workshops with the city and the parks department. And on Thursday night, they finally approved and gave us a permit to build. Friday morning, (laughs) 8 o'clock in the morning. We had 80 guys up here with chainsaws. Hmm. 
to a 70 to 100 oak trees right now where this building sits today. Those trees were cut down, hauled, uh, cut up, and hauled away by noon on Sunday. Mm, ready to go. Wow. So that was that was building. Was that in the, in the spring? What then? they call they now is building? the south. That was uh, that was in uh, late March that okay. they gave us oh. the per- permit. Plenty of time to get a facility we, up. We had uh, we had going already lined up a contractor to come in and do the earthwork for us, take the stumps out and dig the hole for the arena. We had committees formed for having people. What hours people were going to start working? Uh, we had volunteers from. Uh, Throughout the city of Blaine, we had uh, electricians, we had carpenters, we had uh, uh, pipe fitters, and all this labor was volunteer, everything out here. You'd never get that done again today, because the reason that happened is back in 1981, 82, there was no work here, and all these construction guys were laid off. Hmm. And we had uh, another guy by the name of Irv Lust who was uh, very instrumental. He he had a full-time job. He was kind of part owner of a company. And he headed up contacting all the uh, different suppliers, lining up uh, when stuff would be shipped and who was going to work and tell other committees how many people we needed and what time of day. And it was nothing to have on a Saturday or a Sunday, 40, 50 people up here volunteering. Well, he was one of the three plaques we saw, was he not? He was, he Irv, was Fran, and Joe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, Fran Fogarty was very instrumental, which is now named Fran, uh, Fran Fogarty Ice Arena. Anyway, go back to the story here. Uh, Joe Quinn, who was also on the plaque up there, he was very instrumental, and in, he was a state representative at the time, an attorney. And he had a little bit of pull with some people, and... I remember we used to have an office up here on 65 and Main, uh, Main Street, and with no, with nobody, somebody gave it to us, and we put charts up on the wall, the flow of the money coming in, and making really impressive. So when business people came in and they looked at it, wow, you guys are really doing a great job here. So Joe was a gangster. Yeah, and and how do I get on? Get everybody in his pockets. <laughs> Don't get me in trouble. Joe was no gangster. <laughs> Joe Joe was a, a hardworking guy, and he. He wanted to see this facility built like the rest of us did. Did everybody have, uh, were all hockey parents? They were all hockey parents. And some of these people today are my best friends. I mean, we grew up, to, we grew up our kids grew up together. And uh, back then I was coaching uh, in-house team. Uh, I got a, my first uh, coaching job as a, a peewee coach, traveling team. And from those kids, one of the kids I talked to in there. Yeah. Uh, in the weight room? In the weight room. He was helping to assemble. Coached him through Pee Wee's Bantams. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. All, and his parents and my parents. And this picture right up here of all the people on the background, they're all hockey people, every one of them. Yeah, it was pretty cool when you were talking about all the volunteer labor. Jordan, I wasn't really looking at the wall, but Jordan looked around. And there's, we're surrounded by pictures of everybody in, in prime 80s T-shirt gear. Yeah, working jeans. on the arena. Yeah. You can see the foundation blocks right there behind you, Chris. There's only a way to reinforce that block to make it a little bit stronger. Yeah. I heard these are aluminum reinforced. Can you can lightweight you reinforce block. them with aluminum in the inside? No. We filled them with styrofoam beads. So anyway, get back to the arena in uh, 
I believe it was October, November of 1982, uh, we opened the doors for the first time and started uh, playing uh, indoor hockey through Blaine Spring Lake Park. That's the, the central part, that you call it the South Rink. At that time, it was when we opened the doors, it was called the North Suburban Civic Center Ice Arena. And the reason we had to call it that was, was seeing it was on a Blaine property and Anok Connors gave us the money, they did not want us calling it the Blaine Ice Arena. He says, we want something in there that'll match the surrounding area because we were drawing kids from Andover, Coon Rapids, Blaine. All those kids were coming here, so they wanted a North Suburban theme to it. That's it is, it's interesting how people get hung up on names, though. Well, it's like law offices. Like, whose name is going to go first when there's two or three founding partners? It's going to be Listening and Wickland. Listening and Wickland. We're going into the law? That sounds horrible. I, my brother-in-law is a lawyer, so he could help us out. There's a, there's a lot of lawyers involved in this, too. We wrote the articles. and Were there a lot of book editors involved? Pardon? Nothing. That's what he does. He's a book, he's a book editor. Oh, a there book probably editor. weren't a lot of computer guys uh, involved either. We we have a, a imagine the ed- possibilities had there been. We have uh, ed- uh, editors that come in once a year, edit our books, and uh, is no. that what you do? That's what I do. That's what. Uh, well, no, that's what that's I try not, to do. He doesn't. Least. You're talking audit your audit. books. Oh, he edits books like oh, he, he edits. Them. Yeah, like if I write the notes for this episode, then he'll take them and oh, then yeah. he'll make them sound like somebody who knows how to write wrote them. Yeah, I don't get paid for it, but there are other benefits. Yeah. Like a future curling weightlifting membership here at the Fogarty Arena. I do yeah. have the beer card. Does Will that, will that open the door? <laughs> the beer card? Fogarty, well, the new, the new restaurant, they got this beer card. You, yeah. You get a discount on the There well, is a points discussion. Up. You, can, you can go back there right now and I'll, we'll sell you a card for 50 bucks and it'll give you a 20% discount and your beers are at uh, happy hour prices all the time. I know. I, I don't have it, but That's I've heard people of People listening out there, good place to come. There yeah. we go. Get up here and drink some beer. Mm-hmm. So anyway, guys, want to move on to some more of the story here? Yeah. I want to go back to... Uh, January 16th, 1986, that's when we renamed the facility to Fran Fogarty Ice Arena and the Ice House. And the reason that Fran Fogarty, his name is now on this building, is that he was the mayor of Blaine at the time, and he was very instrumental in pushing through the street out here, the sewer and water, getting us the land. And he always told... The city clerk or his wife who ran the office for him, I'm going to the ice house. He never called it the arena or anything like that. It was always the ice house, and he was proud. He was one proud person that he got involved in. You know, somebody asked me one time that, uh, how come you want to stay involved with the board? And my main reason for staying with the board of uh, directors and Blaine Spring Lake Park is trying to keep the cost of ice down for these kids and their parents. All the proceeds that we make, two hockey rinks plus the curling and the bar and restaurant, all come back into this facility. We have probably one of the cheapest ice prices per hour in the metropolitan area for a private 
individual uh, I've, I've heard that it's like $199 an hour or something. Uh, right now, we're not that high. Our, our think our prime time hours for both Boy and Spring Lake Park is around $165 to $170. If you go down the street here to Schwann's, you're going to pay $200 or $200 plus. All right. So let's talk about how you came to be uh, the godfather of the uh, Blaine Curling facility. I don't believe I'm the godfather. I just, I just don't gave you that title. There we go. This goes back. Oh, I, I want to say probably about 2005, 2006. I actually saw. I did Google and uh, bo- uh, board meeting minutes came up, <laughs> and there's this board meeting minutes from 2006 where you uh, discuss a third sheet. Yep. And, and yeah, and I thought I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay. The third sheet was a curling club. When we first discussed this, we were looking at putting in eight sheets for curling. And our biggest problem was a hurdle where that facility now sits. It used to be a ball field, a baseball, softball field, number one field in Blaine with lights on it. Well, the city was very lucky to give up that ball field. So we negotiated and sat and negotiated and negotiated, and we lined up a contractor, and we had uh, plans built, uh, made up for the facility, with including the bar, restaurant, eight sheets. We had the financing ready to go through a local bank here. And then the uh, I call it the uh, depression. Yeah, the recession. Recession hit, and the bank's... Tightened up, and there was no funding for nothing. So we kind of put it on the back burners for uh, probably about four or five years because uh, it was probably a good thing that we didn't start to build it then because we'd have been in big trouble. Yeah. And nobody had extra money that they could be spending on uh, curling or stuff like that back then. And so from there. Not that curling's that expensive of a sport, not a lot not of equipment costs. To- Yes, they are. If you, if you stop and think about it, uh, well, maybe to run the facility. Well, the, the rocks themselves, the stones, cost about five hundred and fifty dollars per per, uh, per rock, and you got sixteen rocks per sheet times that by six. Yeah. You got a pretty hefty bill. Yeah, that uh, you're mortgaging sub fifty thousand, about yeah, forty six yeah. grand or so. Well, about fifty thousand. Yeah. By the time you get your shifting shipping costs in yeah. and stuff yeah. like that, so. And then ice, uh, ice is ice. Uh, it's a little bit different. It's uh, not like hockey rink. You can't take a stone out on a hockey rink and try to curl with it. It'd probably go about five feet. We could try that later. Anyway, about four or five years later, we things start loosening up a little bit in the uh, banking business, and so we brought this back up and uh, met with the city and finally made a deal with them to help pay the cost to tear down the ball field and move it back on the back 40 over here. They gave us permission. We lined up a restaurant owner in uh, St. Paul by the name of Gabe's in the Park. That's right. Right off of Lexington and Wicomo Park down there. And they agreed to a five-year turn to come in here and run the facility for us. Gabe's is a great restaurant. I've drank a lot of beer there. I have, not recently. They're good people. Yeah. Uh, Along with that, uh, we had a contractor hired, and uh, we had uh, broke ground, I think, and uh, had a groundbreaking in May. 
You didn't use volunteer labor for this one? Uh, no, we didn't. Uh, Curlers have fast. more exacting standards than. But, you know, the funny thing about get, get into their volunteers, we put out notices that we were going to build this facility here in, in the local papers, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul paper. We talked to the uh, curling uh, people in St. Paul, and they gave us our blessings to go ahead because we can't bring any more people into St. Paul. They were over, yeah. booked up there over 1,000 members. So our thought was if we could get 250 to 300 members the first year and do 15 to 20 corporation events, man, we'd be, we'd be making money along with the bar and the restaurant. So in December of uh, 80 or 2012, we opened up the uh, Gabe's uh, Ringside Bar and Restaurant. And that winter, we opened up the curling for our first league play, winter league. And we curled Sunday nights, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, double leagues, six and eight, 15 draws. That league was full. Uh, we did Friday night. We had learned to curls on Friday night. And during the days, we had a lot of corporations come in. We hit, in the first year, like almost 200 corporation events that we did wow. out of this facility. And along with that, they were buying beer and buying food at the uh, uh, bar, uh, restaurant and bar. And prior to opening that, we hired John Benton, Olympia and John Benton. You guys both know him very well. Very well. We agreed to uh, a contract with John. And... Right after, about in October, November, we hired uh, Todd Burr, uh, who was uh, a rink our assistant rink master up in Mankato. Working, for, uh, his dad used to be one of the best ice makers, curling ice rink uh, makers there was. Well, anyway, we got the word that Todd was available, so we brought him down, interviewed him, and we hired him full time. Bringing those two people on kind of made this facility come together. Because we knew now had somebody in here that knew how to run a curling operation. We're hockey people. We had nothing to do, uh, no idea how to run a bar and restaurant. That's why we hired Gabe's to mm. start with. The uh, facility, like I said, hit, I think, almost 600 members the first year we opened. The second year after the uh, Winter Olympics, this place exploded. We couldn't keep up with people wanting to come in and learn to curl. So you curled, though, as a kid, right? Growing up in Hibbing, like I mentioned before, we did have a, a curling club up there at the Hibbing Memorial Building. We curled. I curled there one uh, winter, and it was a uh, choice between that and swimming. Hmm. And I didn't like get my hair all messed up from swimming, so I... Decided to go learn how to curl. Well, it lasted four weeks, one day a week. <laughs> but that, that's the extent of my curling until I came down here and got involved in this. Now, myself, I curl Monday nights. I call curl Thursday mornings, curl Thursday nights. And I probably average about five to six corporations a week during the wintertime. Doing events. Doing events. Do you coordinate those, or do you are you out on the ice with them? I'm out on the ice with them. Oh wow! I I actually out there sliding and teaching them how to slide and how to sweep and 
I, myself, I, I use a stick now myself. I'm up 75 years old and keeps me young just to uh, be out there and do that. But it, it's, to me, one of the greatest sports ever. I mean, curling. And oh, it's, yeah. Would you have said that 20 years ago? I don't think so. Back then, I was, I'm a big avid golfer, too. I play 100, 120 rounds a year in golf that I post. Uh, that's obsessive. It's and called, excessive. It's called retirement and fun. <laughs> I don't know if this question is going to make sense or not, but I have a question. Do you see any parallels? Like youth hockey is huge. And in Minnesota, I mean, it's huge. You're, we're talking about as you're touring, there's kids all over the place. There's girls and boys, and there's a game going on right now between Princeton and Blaine right outside. Been two scores based on the pounding of the, that, of the boards. Or they're just fans of the podcast. It's probably, probably Blaine hometown crowd. Mm. Probably scoring. Yeah. So are there any, are there any lessons to learn from uh, – youth hockey uh, for uh, youth curling because it doesn't seem like, like in St. Paul, St. Paul's got a really good uh, junior curling program. Um, but it seems like, you know, like, but that's small compared to the way hockey is. And why, you know, why isn't curling as popular as hockey with kids? Well, I, th- I think one of the, the, the biggest reasons is, is that kids there's more prestige to being a hockey player than there is to being a curler at the age of uh, 8 through 14 or 15 years old. Now, the kids that we do have in our junior program here, once they get them out there and they play the game, they are now trying to promote within their gang of kids that they hang out with. you got to talk to your mom and dad, so bring you down there and try this because it's a lot of fun. And... We're, John Benton is really doing a hard job trying to sell, going into the junior high schools, the high schools, the elementary schools, and trying to promote curling in the uh, northern tier up here. And it's going to be a hard sell, but I think after time, uh, we get we can get enough kids involved to start with, and it spreads. And my goal is to see this go into the high school sports. Eventually. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. That would be incredible. Yeah, if we could, if we could get just say like, uh, I know the last couple of years we've had Spring Lake Park, we've had uh, Nolka, we've had Coon Rapids, their tornadoes and Blaine, and their high school they they've got somewhere between eight to ten kids from each school coming in once once a week, curling, and this is how it's going to start, and we got to promote it, and we got to bring them in here, give them the ice. And teach them how to curl. And we've got uh, now we have uh, coaches from the high school level that are bringing these kids here because they they picked up curling and they find how much fun it is. So now they're they're starting to bring in members from their schools. You know the kids. Well, and, now in Metro Wide, now we're going to have five dedicated ice facilities. So yeah, you can't say be, you can't make it to the facility anymore. Well, no, it's just it's just going to continue to grow, and it, and then there's more opportunity then for you know people. You know, one one of the unique things about our our curling club, Four Seasons Curling Club, is that it's not like St. Paul, and it's not like up on the Iron Range where you can walk in and pour yourself a beer. Or I, I hate that about the St. Paul Club. But anyway, uh, everything that here is 
profit. We're make, trying to make a profit off it to, like I said, keep the ice cost down. And uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's a great facility, and we are known uh, throughout the hockey world for having one of the nicest facilities to have uh, guests come in and play hockey. And it's a clean building. It is well, a clean building. And the current link facility is fantastic. And this is a great wraparound to a story you mentioned when we were out there. Should the building burn down, we understand that some of those blocks are full of aluminum. Empty beer cans. <laughs> that back in the 81 and 82 when we were building this, uh, we had local uh, liquor stores that would uh, know we were working up here on a Friday night and they'd drop off a couple cases of uh, whatever they had in stock to get rid of it. And once in a while, somebody would bring up a full keg on a Saturday night and drop it off for us. We, just outside here, uh, we had a trailer set up there. And Herb had his office in there, and we had a park bench out in the front. And it just, the whole thing, it's just unbelievable how uh, two communities came together to build this first facility. I mean, it's... If, stop, if you really stop and think about it, uh, I don't think it could happen anymore because everything fell into place. There was no work. Uh, construction companies were had this equipment laying around. They had nothing to do with it. Didn't you know? Give it to us to use scaffolding, forklifts, uh, cement mixers. I had people out making cement out here that were bookkeepers. Never seen a never seen a trawl in their life or a shovel, and they were and they loved it. Yeah, I grew up uh, the son of a general contractor. So my brother and I were gopher moles for several years for our summer jobs up in Duluth. That's good skills to have. There was one thing I wanted to mention, which this last week in the Fireball uh, Bond Spiel in St. Paul uh, was won by a Blaine team. Yes, it was. Do you know the members of it? Uh, I know a couple of them. Yeah, they uh, they curled. In fact, they were curling here at uh, 6 o'clock tonight. They, uh, they're probably leading their uh, league tonight. Yeah. yeah, Benton was down Tuesday night because I curl on Tuesday down there, and he walked over there and he pointed to him and said, oh, that's my boys. It was a, it's a Gabria. Gab- Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. All right, John. Thanks for submitting to this interview. Yeah. It was very illuminating. You gave a lot of good information, both the tour. The tour was fantastic. The tour was fun. The weight room, I'm really excited about that weight room. I'm going to totally bypass John Benton, and I'm going to start lobbying well, you, tell you what, to get uh, my weight room card. Yeah. I'll email you when we have it opened. Okay. And I'll invite you down, both of you guys down, if you want to come down and uh, work out in there. All right. That'd be fantastic. I think I can get that permission. That'd be great. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, John. Thanks, Appreciate John. It. Thank you. Yeah, good curling. Yep, you too. Let's go drink that beer. Absolutely.
Fast asleep, dreaming of gold. 